Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Well, Father's Day is a day that we get to honor our fathers for their examples and leadership in our homes. And so if you're a father or grandfather here today, would you please stand? We would like to recognize you and show you our appreciation. Would you please stand? Now, next week, y'all can tell us if the national average that you, they spent $133 on you. Let us know if that happened next week, all right? <laughs> well, let me pray before we start. Father, I, I just uh, give you this time. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would be in this place. And word, the word of God, Lord, would go forth. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing unto you. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've heard it said that anyone can be a father, but it takes a special person to be a dad. And that is so true. You know, God calls us as dads to lead our homes in such a way that we will leave behind a spiritual heritage for our family and this really begins when we see that our leadership in the home is one of setting a godly example for our families to follow. In the video this morning, you heard the little girl said this. She says, everything that I've learned about God, I learned by watching my dad. And see, whether we realize it or not, our family is always watching us. Yes, they see the good and even the bad. There's a song on the radio that's been out for a while entitled Watching You. And the song tells of a father and son who's out for afternoon outing together and all they're having a good time. So they decide to go through a drive through and pick up a hamburger. And as they pull out on their way home, the dad has to slam on the brakes to avoid hitting another car at which all their food and drinks go to the floor. You might have seen the video online. And as the son sees his coveted Happy Meal all over the place, well, he says a bad word. Now, his, the father was horrified at his son's language more so than he was the car that he almost hit. And he immediately asked his son, Now, son, where did you hear a word like that? And his son replies in the song, I've been watching you dead. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all the food and grow as tall as you are. We've got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we dead? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. Now, you can imagine that this father's heart sank when he heard this. And if you're a parent in the room this morning, you know that feeling when you've said or done something wrong that, oh, man, you done messed up with your kids. Am I the only one here that's done that? <laughs> but see, on returning home, this father was so upset with himself that when he gets home, he goes down behind the house to the barn and he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray, asking God to forgive him. I think the song says, forgive me for my stupid self. 
But he starts praying and asking God for him to be a better father, a better example. And little did he know that the Lord was answering his prayer at that moment. You see, unbeknown to him, his son was around the corner hiding, but he was watching and he was listening to what his dad was doing. And that night, as the father and son at bedtime, they get down and the son begins to pray to the Lord. And the lyrics say, like talking to a friend. And the dad was amazed at what he heard. And he asked his son, now, son, where did you learn to pray like that? And again, he says, dad, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Hey, we're just alike, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. See, the examples that we set as fathers is so important. And I'm thinking that the father, this father felt very humbled and grateful that the Lord had redeemed his bad example and turned it into a godly example. And see, as leaders in our homes, we know that we will make mistakes. However, we have a good, perfect, heavenly father who is always there when we mess up, when we make mistakes, he helps us walk through those things and he will turn a bad example into a godly example. Amen? Amen. Well, today as we talk about examples, we're going to be looking at the continuing our study of the book of 1 Timothy. Now, we've learned so far that the Apostle Paul has sent his disciple Timothy to the church in Ephesus to confront false teachers in the church. They'd been distorting the truth of the gospel with these cultural myths of that day. Over the past two weeks, David Beatty, our senior pastor, has done a masterful job in showing us that even in today's culture, in today's culture, in the climate in which we live, there are also false teachers in the church and outside the church. Many who are attempting to distort the truths of the Bible, the Bible with the cultural myths of our day. He covered two topics on slavery and homosexuality from a godly perspective. What the Bible teaches about those topics, not what the culture says. And I believe today more than ever before, we need godly leadership in the church, especially in the culture in which we find ourselves living. This morning we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about the life of a leader. And I believe that leadership in the church is not taught as much as it is caught. And what I mean by that is that the best model of leadership is by the examples that we set in our lives as leaders, as fathers, as parents, because people are watching us. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He had been a godly example in the church for years with his disciples, one of whom which was a young man named Timothy. And now this young man was raised up as a leader in the church. He's very, very young, probably in his early 30s. And when you hear the word leader, what, what comes to mind to you this morning when you hear that word? Maybe you were in the military and it brings to mind 
the commander that you served under. Or maybe it's a boss or a manager at work. In any case, the leader you serve under or work under will greatly affect your view of the organization that you are a part of. It really depends on what kind of example that the people set for, doesn't it? The business world model is different from the churches. Most corporations uh, operate in a top-down leadership model where the CEO, you got the pyramid, the CEO's at the top. He makes all the decisions about the company and how it's supposed to be run, and it's just carried down to the people under him to carry it out. In many instances, the, the top people in the, in the organization never know anything about their employees, and there's no relationship with them. Thank goodness the church is not like that. See, the church uses a bottom-up leadership model where the leaders are called first to take on the role of a servant. And this type of leadership is founded on serving the needs of God's people through meaningful relationships, through love and grace and prayer, and most importantly, leading by godly examples with their lives. Jesus sets this upside-down leadership model for us in Matthew 20, 25 through 28 it's overhead but Jesus called them to him and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We find in the Bible that the Apostle Paul and Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, they all describe themselves, they start out in their epistles as bondservants of Christ. See, the word bondservant or slave is it, applied metaphorically to anyone who is absolutely devoted to Jesus and serving him with their whole life. We know that in the gospel, John's gospel, we find Jesus washing the disciples' feet during that last Passover meal. Now, that was a task that was really for servants. It was a dirty and nasty job. However, Jesus, the Son of God, the leader of those disciples, well, he takes on the role of a servant. And after he finishes, he says these words, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus sets that example for us to follow. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul makes a very powerful statement to the church and its leaders. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Some translations say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul writes to Timothy saying, You know all my teachings, my way of life, my purposes, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, and persecution. You have seen them. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul again tells Timothy that he is to be an example to all believers in his speech, in his life, in love, in faith, in purity. See, what Paul was saying to the church and to its leaders is what he learned from Jesus 
And he's telling them to follow my examples. If you, has, if you have watched my life, you've seen my devotion to Jesus, now go, go and do the same with others. See, what we find here is the principles of leadership in the church. First, leaders must be completely to, devoted to Jesus with their whole life, their whole heart. Second, they must be willing to have or take on the role of a servant. They must be servant-minded. And finally, leaders must set a godly example as they follow Christ with their lives. And see, we see this pattern just as Jesus did for Paul and Paul did with Timothy. I wanted to give you a little information on Timothy and Paul's relationship. See, Timothy is first mentioned in Acts 16, 1 through 3. Now, we know that Timothy's father was a Greek man, but we know nothing about his faith. However, we know that Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jewish women who had come to faith under Paul's ministry. And a few years later, on a trip back to Timothy's hometown, Paul finds Timothy now a young man, about 16 or 17 years old. So young people, yes, God wants to use you even in your teen years. But he finds Timothy, and he finds that he is well spoken of by everyone. See, he had a good reputation of being a man of high moral character, and faith in Jesus. And Paul sees something in this young Timothy, and he asks him to come and be a part of his ministry to the church. And a deep, lasting relationship develops between these two men. Timothy proves to be a very trusted disciple to Paul over the years. When Paul was in Ephesus for three years, Timothy was by his side. During Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, Timothy was there unselfishly taking care of Paul's needs. And we find in 1 Timothy 1-2 and Philippians 2-2, the Apostle Paul calling Timothy, my true child or son in the faith. Timothy, now a young man in his 30s, having spent some 13 years with Paul, see their relationship had become more of a father-son relationship. Paul had taken on that role as a father, a spiritual father to Timothy by the examples of his life. So this morning, this brings us to our text, finally to our text this morning from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And what we find here is the clearest teaching in the New Testament regarding the biblical qualifications for the life of leaders in the church especially elders and deacons. We find that Paul has charged Timothy to teach sound doctrine, to strengthen the body of believers, and to tighten up qualifications of overseers or leaders in the church in Ephesus. Now, these qualifications that we'll look at today have been a benchmark for the church leadership for the past 2,000 years. This is not something new. I also wanted to mention to you, if you're sitting there, in the culture of Paul's day, most leadership roles in the church were done by men. That's why you see all this in a male, in a male gender pronouns. But today we have both men and women in leadership roles in the church. 
So let's begin by reading our text this morning. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, and he, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the temptation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. These are the qualifications. Now, the, the list here for the life of a believer, see, they were used as a measuring rod and they still are to see if a person is really suited for the role, this role in the church, this noble task. And as we read through the pastoral letters, we find this repeated uh, insistence on the moral and ethical values woven throughout them. See, in the ancient world, shame was a matter of public approval or disapproval. And Paul certainly did not want any leader to bring shame to the name of Jesus or to his church. This is why these qualifications, they really seem to focus on one's moral integrity, their life, more so than their spiritual giftedness. Paul begins his instructions in 3.1. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. See, what Paul was saying here to the early church and to us today is that this position as an overseer or leader it's a high calling. It's a, a noble task. See, the word noble means having or showing fine personal qualities or high moral principles. The position also comes with a task. It's a great responsibility for leaders to put their faith and their devotion and their dedication to God's Word into service and into action to be there for the body. We find that these, all these qualifications in 1 Timothy all begin with the word must. Sounds a little legalistic, but it's not. The Greek word for must is defined as one ought or it is necessary, like it's binding. And in Paul's mind, these are essential, non-negotiable standards to which a leader must adhere to in order to serve in the church. Look at the screen overhead. And you'll see that most of these qualifications can be placed in really one main category, the outward example of the life of a leader. The only one on the entire list that has to do with an, someone's ability is the ability to teach. And that's really just for elders and not for deacons. Most of the list you see overhead is really self-explanatory. However, I wanted to look at a few of those and see how, so we can understand them more clearly in the light of the culture in which they were written. I believe that the first qualification up here, above reproach and blameless, it really sets the foundation for the, the entire list. And it means that a leader's life and his relationship with, with others is to be of such moral quality that it would never bring shame on the name of Jesus. Or his church. 
And see, this holds true not only in relationships within the church walls, but also in his public and private life, as we see in the next qualifications. A leader must be the husband of one wife. What Paul was stressing here is the need for the leaders in the church to be unquestionable in their morality by being faithful to his one and only wife. She was to be his only devoted wife. You know, the city of Ephesus at that time was known greatly for the sexual immorality that was going on, and it caused many problems in marriages just like it does today. What, Paul, what the Apostle Paul taught was this, was that a godly marriage reflected the image of both Christ and the church. So it was very important that the leader was an example of faithfulness and purity. He was supposed to be above reproach. The leader must not also, he must also not only be a faithful husband, but a faithful father. And so today's Father's Day, who sets a godly example for his, for his family to follow. He must manage his household well. This means that he would lead his family by example, just like the man did in the video. They would see him praying. They would see him in the scriptures, and he would in turn teach his children the Bible, the deep things of the Lord. He would be devoted to their spiritual needs and he would even bring discipline to his children when needed. So he was to care and manage his household in such a way that he was respected as the leader in his home, just as he would be in the church. And that's why Paul writes this statement, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for the church? It's above reproach in every area of your life. Now, as we go back and look at the list again, we'll see that the rest of these qualifications really boil down to this, to a person living a life of self-control in both his public and private life. See, not only are they to be self-disciplined, they must be sober-minded and not a drunkard and not violent or, and gentle and not quarrelsome. They're really to seek the pleasures not of this world. They're to seek the pleasures of knowing who God is, and serving Him faithfully. That needs to be their main focus in life. Leaders are also called to be hospitable. You know, this was a very important trait in the ancient world, and it is today in a lot of uh, foreign countries. It's still very, very important. In the book of Romans, Paul instructs us to share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. See, leaders need to be warm and caring people. If a leader can't, cannot welcome someone into their home and make them feel comfortable, how can they invite them to church and come in? They have, they have to be hospitable. The one qualification of an elder leader is, that's not associated with the deacon is they must be able to teach. Now, this is not a readiness to teach, but really a spiritual gift that has been given by God to that leader. The giftedness to preferably meditate on God's word and to guide his people in the practical application of its truths. 
See, that was much needed in the early church as it is today. In fact, that's why Timothy was being sent to Ephesus in the first place to address false teachers who would come into the church and to instruct the leaders there. Teach sound doctrine. Stick to the Word of God. Paul also dealt with the issues of leaders falling into pride and the trapping of the devil when he stipulated that they must not be a recent convert, which means they're not a new believer, but they are mature in their faith and have proven to be faithful. Now, I am really thankful in my life that God blessed me with some really godly men in my life for a long time. For the last 35 years, I've been walking with the Lord, maybe a little bit longer now, I'm getting older. But I remember these men that God sent in my life to be godly examples to me and how that blessed me and what it did in my life. I remember sitting in Pastor Dick Little's office at Renolda Presbyterian Church when he was the pastor there. And he had called me in because I had visited and I knew, I knew why I was going. God was doing this. Hey, boy, it's time to come back. And it wasn't 10 minutes I was in his office. I was on my knees asking God to come into my life. And man, I was so overjoyed. I was ready to get going. I said, Dick, what can I do? I want to do something for the kingdom. What can I do around here? He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. His answer was a little startling to me, but it was also very profound. He says, yes, we have needs here, but I don't want you to do anything for the first year, except I want you to get in the Word of God. I want you to pray and study and spend time with Him. Get to know who God is before you serve. And I believe I am where I am today because of pressing that first year, spending time in the Word. And God surrounded me by so many godly men that I still cherish today. That example of their life meant so much to me because it matters. The final qualification needed in the life of a leader is that they must have a good reputation in the church and outside the church. Remember, this is what drew the Apostle Paul to Timothy to start with because he had a good reputation inside and outside the church. See, it all goes back to being above reproach in every area of your life. Now, I know that many of y'all are sitting here and you're thinking this. Man, the bar is raised too high for me to ever be achieve these qualifications and be a leader. I, I don't measure up. I'll never measure up to that. You know, we began a board of deacons last year for prayer and care for our members. And we gave people a packet of information of their duties and we asked them and, and included in that packet of information was these qualifications from 1 Timothy and Titus about this noble task as deacons in the church. And I had many people respond with the same, the same thinking. Do, I can never measure up to that. No. 
And my response to all of them was the same. And it was, it was quite a few of them. I said, well, I said, there's no perfect leader. I said, I'm not perfect. David Beatty's not perfect. There is no perfect leader here at the church because we're all sinners and we fall short of God's glory. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. And He's the perfect leader. And when He places a call on our hearts to serve Him in the church, He will equip us, even with all of our blemishes. That's the grace of God. Now, there's a bumper sticker that I've seen many times. It says, Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven. That's true. Leaders must understand that God is the equipper. The Bible teaches that we can do nothing apart from him, but through him we can do all things. You know, the Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. Here's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.5, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. We find in the book of Romans, chapter 7, he's being honest with his own struggles of sin, and he says, I desire to do what is good, but I don't do it. See, we don't call ourselves into leadership in the church. Rather, it is God who calls us to serve Him. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's serving in the coffee bar or leadership. It's God's call in our life. He is the equipper. He's the one that calls us. And see, there's only one perfect leader, and His name is Jesus. And He daily calls men and women who are devoted to Him to come alongside and serve His church. And bless his people, even with our blemishes. This morning, you also may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not really a leader in the church, so how does this apply to me this morning? I want to remind you and really charge you with this passage in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. through 4. And we find a call here, most people say this is a command, that all believers are called to pray for leaders that God has placed over their life. First of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. This begins with our government leaders. You know that through the prayers of God's people, many, many times God has been at work and turned the hearts of our leaders to Him. So we're called to pray for our leaders. I wonder what our country would look like. Now I'm speaking to myself here. If every believer in the country, every believer in Jesus would daily pray for our government, Instead of complaining. I'm guilty of that. What would happen. If we. Came together in unity. And prayed fervently for our leaders. That they that God would turn their hearts. And change our nation. Towards him. We would have. It's called revival. <laughs> but I think we're also especially. Called to pray for the leaders in the church. So the best way that you can support River Oaks is with your prayers. And I would ask 
and covet your prayers for our pastors and elders and deacons and anyone who holds a leadership role at Rock. Pray that they would lead with godly integrity and wisdom in their public and private lives. Pray for their marriages and their children and that their homes would be a reflection of God's word and his presence. That's what we need. We need your prayers. Next, I would ask that you pray for our leaders to stand strong in defending the faith. Titus 1.9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instructions and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, we find in our culture today this daily attempt, daily to redefine the truth of the Bible to fit the culture that we live in. See, the culture should never shape, should never shape God's Word. God's Word is supposed to be shaping our culture. We have it backwards in this country. And finally, I would ask that you pray for our leaders to teach God's unchanging Word without compromise. Listen to this passage in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's happening in our culture today. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's what our leaders need to do. The world may be changing around us, but God's word and his truth has not changed. And our leaders need your prayers like never before to teach his word with boldness and conviction and hold to the truth of the gospel. And as I close today, as a leader in this church, I would love to pray over this congregation this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. The same church that Timothy was charged to oversee, and it comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's really a prayer for all believers to continue to grow in their faith and the empowerment that he gives us to live a life as a follower of Jesus. Would you bow your head and pray with me as I pray this over this body this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us, Lord, to be a light in a dark world. And Lord, we need to all aspire to one thing more than anything else, and that's to live a life that's worthy of you, to be used by you, to be an example to our families and the world around us of grace and love and mercy and your power. So this morning I pray this prayer over River Oaks Community Church. And for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or can imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in this church and in the name of Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, we come this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your promise. Lord, for your desire for us to become mature in our faith that we will lead a life worthy of you, set an example for a hurting and dying world that desperately needs you. And Lord, I know this morning there may be people who have come in here who don't know you. Maybe they're just investigating Christianity. Maybe they're hurting this morning. They're downcast. Lord, you're the lifter of our head. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not made you the Lord of their life, Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to their hearts, that you would walk up and down these aisles and be touching hearts, drawing them unto you. And if that's you this morning, I just want to pray a prayer of you. And you can pray this prayer where you're at. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I'm a sinner. Wash me clean. Lord, come into my life. Let your spirit come into my life and lead and guide me. Father, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for washing me clean. Lord, help me to serve you faithfully as an example of your grace and your mercy. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name.